Well, good morning, Peer family. For those of you joining us maybe for the first time, my name's Jason, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Peer. I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. I hope you're doing well. I just also want to say that I'm looking forward to being together tonight on Zoom. We're going to have a time of prayer and worship and sharing. So I just want to invite all of you to that, whether you kind of consider the peer home or not, feel free to come on out. And also, I'm looking forward to our prayer time on Monday nights. That's at 6.30 this Monday. And that's a time to pray for our community, but also we engage in what's called Lectio Divina or sacred reading. And I really enjoy these times. It's, I find it to be just really energizing and a great time together. So just wanted to mention those two things. Now, if you watched last week, you know that we are in the middle of a mini-series on grief. Last week, we started to talk about the grieving process, and a big theme there was giving ourselves permission and kind of making sure that we don't skip, especially the first two facets of the grieving process, and, and those were acknowledging our losses and giving ourselves permission to experience and express the pain of our losses. And those two are often ones we want to skip over, but they're really important. And we talked about how it's important for us to be able to do that together in this time of, of where we're all experiencing loss because of COVID. And we also, one thing that kept coming up was that we want to make sure to include God in that process. Well, today we're digging more into that and we're learning more about what it means to include God, what that looks like, because that isn't always straightforward. So actually what we're looking at today is a gift that God has given us, a gift that we find in Scripture, in the Bible. It's called lament. And lament is something that really guides us into expressing our pain to God, including God in the grieving process, including God in our loss. Now, at, at first glance, um, lament, it actually looks a lot like our Favorite, like our favorite sad songs that we all love to listen to. So I thought, to get us started, let's play a little game. It's called Psalm or Song. Okay, so the idea is you have to guess whether this is a psalm from the Bible or whether this is a popular sad song. This is a game that we used to play at the college that I helped out at in Quebec, actually. So and it, it goes over pretty well there. Hopefully it works over video. I won't be able to hear your guesses, which is, which is all the fun. But either way, I'll imagine what you're guessing, and I'll give the answers as we go along. Okay, first one, psalm or song, okay? I look for you every day, every night. I close my eyes from the fear, from the light. What do you think? Is it in the Bible, or is it a popular song? Well, it's actually a song. It's, it's by Sam Smith called To Die. How about this one? How long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? What do you think? Okay, that one is actually in the Bible. That is a psalm. That's Psalm, um, psalm 1, verse 2. Sorry, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Um, okay, I need you to edit this because I realized I just made a mistake on what psalm that was. So I'll just say that was a psalm. We just won't bother where it's found. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, let's try another one. Now the day bleeds into nightfall, and you're not here to get me through it all. What do you think? Is that a song or a psalm? 
It's a song. It's actually one of my son's favorite songs by Louis Capaldi, Someone You Loved. Okay, last one, last one. Day and night, I have only tears for food. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. What do you think? Is that a popular song or a psalm? That one's a psalm from the Bible. Okay, to be fair, I cut out a couple lines so that it wouldn't be as obvious, but yep, that one's a psalm as well. Okay, we could go on with this. I encourage you, try it out at home. See if you can stump your friends. But uh, that one, what we did there, we were comparing sad songs to laments that are found in the Bible. And you can kind of see the similarities there. And when I was looking these up, I got thinking about sad songs. And, and I was thinking, you know, why is it that we like to listen to sad songs? Especially like when we're down, when we're sad, we like to listen to them. Because, I mean, when you think about it, it kind of makes more sense that we'd want to listen to happy songs, want to listen to upbeat songs to try and change our mood around. But no, somehow that doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Somehow it doesn't feel right to, to listen to an upbeat song when we're sad. We, we prefer sad songs. And I, I know people that prefer sad songs actually all the time. So I wonder why that is. I mean, if I were to, to take a guess at it, I would say it's got to be something to do with the fact that we can really relate to the words and the tone. And, and in relating to it, it kind of gives our own sadness context and it gives it meaning. And, and also, we are reminded that we're not alone when we hear these words, when we hear the singer sing it, and we know that other people love the song. We're reminded we're not alone when we're sad like that. Other people experience it too. So I think there's something like that maybe going on that that's why we really like them. Um, so we're talking, though, about the sad songs of the Bible. We're talking about lament. And um, laments, they're, they're like sad songs that really help us to express our feelings, help us to, to give words to our feelings, to give word to our sadness and our pain. And, and also, they help us to include God in that. They help us to include God in our pain, in our grief. So that's my big question, I guess, then, right? When we say that, what does it mean to include God in our pain? That's, that's a big question for me. And what does it mean to include God in our grieving? What does that look like? Well, have you ever read these verses in the Bible? These, there's a couple of times, or probably more than a couple of times, where things are said, we're asked to do something, where you're kind of like, really? That doesn't sound that realistic. So one of these is found in Psalm 30, verse 1. It says, I will praise, or that means bless or worship, the Lord at all times. My mouth will continually praise him. When you hear that, you're thinking, Okay, I get it, praising God when you're, you know, feeling good, when you're feeling grateful, but praising God and worshiping God at all times, that seems like a bit of a stretch. And then Paul in the New Testament, he says that kind of thing more than once, and he also says this in Ephesians 6, with every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So Paul kind of echoes what's going on in the psalm there, that we need to pray at all times too, no matter how we're feeling. So that's really it, then including God somehow means that we worship and pray to God um, in all circumstances, even in our grief, even in times of loss. So how do we do that? You know, how do we include God in times of suffering? How do we worship 
and pray in a time like this? How do we worship during a pandemic? I, I feel like um, Psalm 137 really describes our, our quandary, our, our situation really well. And it, it's put beautifully. It says it this way. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? That there, that expresses it so well, I think, what we're feeling. Like, these verses were written during the exile during a time when the Israelites were very far from home, very far from the place where they would worship God, where they would normally sing songs of worship, sing um, the songs of the Lord. And so they were finding it hard. How do we continue to worship in this foreign land when our world is upside down? And that, I feel like, captures our situation well. How do we worship God during pain and suffering and loss? How do we worship God during COVID? That's the big question here. Now, I've been helped, just to let you know, by um, a great article called Why Me, Lord? Practicing Lament at the Foot of the Cross, and that's written by John Swinton. So I'm going to be referring to it here and there, but I wanted to let you know it's a really good resource on this. But he talks about how an important clue to getting our minds and hearts around this, how we can worship God in, during grieving, during loss. An important clue to it is actually something that Martin Luther really discovered about God. And it's a, it's a simple idea. It's called Martin Luther's Theology of the Cross. But it's a really simple idea, but very powerful. The idea is that when we look at Jesus on the cross, we realize that he's revealing to us that God can be found, actually, and we can encounter God in suffering. Jesus models for us, he shows us that God isn't far off in times of pain, but he's actually to be found and can be found in the midst of it. And um, Greg Boyd talks about this in our time. He's written quite a bit on this. He talks about how the cross, Jesus on the cross, that's like our clearest view, our best revelation of God's character and God's love for us. So when we, and, oh, and sorry, here's what he says about it, just to quote him, the love that characterizes God's eternal nature and the love that his children are to extend to all others looks like the cross. So that's important. Um, this idea that we can encounter God in our pain and that God's love is best seen through Jesus on the cross, I think that gives us a clue here as to maybe what the psalmist is talking about, what Paul is talking about when they're saying that we can worship God and, and that we can praise God and that we can pray even during loss, even in our grieving. I think the idea, and John Swinton says this, that they were on to this idea. They knew that God can be found and encountered even in loss. He's not absent from it. He's not far from us when we are in pain. And, you know, I get it. It's, it's hard. I know when, we, when we're in pain, when we're really sad, we kind of go into self-preservation mode. You know what I mean? We kind of go inward. We kind of go insular. And we kind of implode a bit. And so that makes it hard for us 
to have the strength to look out for a moment in a way, kind of look outside of that and, and even look for God. It reminds me of my daughter Morgan when she gets hurt. My, I've got a, a three-year-old daughter, her name's Morgan, and my son's name is Dory, and he's five, and they act so different when they hurt themselves. Um, when Morgan hurts herself, I mean, she cries just like any three-year-old, but whenever I go to try and comfort her, instead of her welcoming <laughs> my hug, she just kind of yells at me and tells me to go away in her three-year-old language. It's like there's no way I can touch her when she's hurting. But all I want to do is obviously go give her a hug and hold her until she feels better. But she has, will have none of it, not until she's kind of feeling a bit better and she's ready. And I feel like we're kind of all like Morgan a little bit often when we get hurt. You know, we kind of look, we go inward and we're not ready almost. It's almost like we just not, don't have the strength to even look for God. But, but all the while, God is right there wanting to embrace us, wanting us to know that he's right there with us. If only we would look for him. So that's, as I said, I think an important piece of this, important piece of understanding how to include God in our loss and what it might mean to even be able to worship God in our times of grief, in the grieving process. It helps us to get our head around it, at least. It helps us to get our hearts around it. But here's the thing, it can't just stay abstract like that. We need to know how to apply it. We need to know how to actually kind of carry that out. And that's where lament comes in. That's been kind of a big buildup to the power of lament. Now, maybe you've heard that word before, just to kind of bring us all up to speed on what lament is. And I'm just going to give the brief definition here. By the way, you can check, even just if you Google the word lament, uh, or Psalms of Lament, you'll find a lot of great resources that kind of go into more detail. But simply put, um, lament has also been referred to as complaint, actually, because it's kind of like that. I mean, all the different Psalms of Lament, they all have the same feature that they are complaining. It's people complaining to God. And John Swinton gives us a bit more to go from. He elaborates on that. And he says, put simply, lament is a cry or a repeated cry of pain, rage, sorrow, and grief that emerges in the midst of deep pain, suffering, and alienation. And put in terms of grief, James Brooks, who wrote The Unbroken Circle, he says lament is a particular kind of mourning. Or in other words, it's a particular way of expressing our inner or our inward grief experience. But here's the thing, it's also kind of has another dimension too, because as John Swinton says, that lament is also a powerful form of prayer. So that's important. That's starting to tie things together a bit. So like the sad songs that we love, lament helps and it gives us authentic and appropriate words to our grief and to our pain, but, and they remind us that we're not alone, and they move us to express our grief, to express our pain to God. In other words, they're helping us to include God in the grieving process. And even further now, adding that even further element of worship, lament can be seen as actually a form of worship. Now, I know that might sound like a stretch because we're used to thinking of worship as kind of like 
like praise and, you know, giving thanks and that sort of thing. And when you read lament and you think about some of the laments that I quoted, it's hard to consider that um, a worship song. But you know what? Maybe that's just that I've got a bit too narrow of my understanding of what a worship song would be. Um, because the truth is, lament can really be worship. And that's where things get really powerful. Because it could be that lament is actually the appropriate and maybe the authentic, the most authentic form of worship that we can have in a foreign land, as the psalm says, or during times of heartache, during times of pain, even during a pandemic like what we're in right now. And that's what James Brooks says. He says the psalms of lament provide us with a language that allows us to tell it like it is, but still continue to worship God in ways that make even our experience of suffering faithful. Okay, so let's take an example to kind of understand what we're talking about here. I think if we have an example, it'll help us to see what's going on. So I'm going to use Psalm 13, and here's how it goes. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So I love the honesty in this song. And in this psalm, I mean, I think we can all relate, especially to how it starts out. When we are sad, when we're grieving, it's really natural to say things like, how long? How long can this last? And then when we're thinking about God, it's, it's natural almost for us to think like, have you forgotten me, God? Are you here? Are you even with me in this? And that part about enemies there, if we kind of, you know, restrain our judgment for a moment there because if we're looking at some of the other laments things get pretty vengeful in the wording but even that we see the honesty there there's this cry of anger of indignation of saying this isn't fair this isn't right that this is happening and then you notice that at the end things change to worship and and those last lines if we were to take them in isolation like on their own it starts to sound a lot more like what, we were, what we're used to when it comes to worship songs, right? But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Um, that sounds like a normal worship song, but it's actually part of the, the lament. So that's the idea here. The whole thing can be seen as worship. It's honesty, honesty, <laughs> moving toward worship. Now, just a side note, you might wonder again about that inclusion of enemies in it. And you'll see that a lot of laments talk about enemies. And you might think, okay, I can get it with some of this stuff, the honesty, the praising at the end, but how am I to talk about enemies when I'm worshiping? You know, and especially if things sound like we're asking for vengeance on our enemies. Like, how is that included in worship? Well, there's, there's a long tradition of reading the Psalms and even other parts of the Bible according to a spiritual reading. And often this means looking for allegory, looking for symbolism in the text. 
And it's not an arbitrary thing. It's informed by kind of the revelation of Jesus and the New Testament. And I think that can really help when you see the word enemy here. Because then enemy can stand for not just, not like literal human enemies, but it can stand for evil and for wickedness in, in any and all of its forms. And you know what? We could think of what Paul says when he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If we read it that way, if we let Paul's words kind of inform our spiritual reading, then we could see it saying something more like, don't let the evil that I'm up against gloat here. Don't let death, don't let illness, loss have the last word saying we've defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. And when you read it that way, when you put it in those words, you see how this is becoming a, even a trusting cry for God to help, for God to intervene, for victory over these things. And then you see how this is moving into trust. And it's moving toward worship in that way, too. It's an expression of trust in God, then, as our Savior. So then, just to recap so far, because we've been talking about a lot of different things, but lament, at one level, it's like a sad song, and it's a complaint. But it's also, we're learning how to include God in that sadness, in our grief. And we're allowing it to move us more and more toward possibly even worshiping God during grief. So the thing is, though, right, it doesn't just kind of happen magically because you've read through the psalm once, right? If, if you kind of read it through, by the end of it, you're not going to find <laughs> that you're automatically all of a sudden feeling like worshiping God. Maybe some of them, who knows, but I think probably the first time you read it, it's not going to happen. So that's the last thing I want to talk about <clears throat> because I think the best way of looking at these is looking at them as guides, looking at them as a practice, something that if we do more and more, we'll find they're having that effect, that they're guiding us along in these ways. In other words, the Psalms are teaching us how to grieve and how to include God in the grieving process. And you know what? A lot of people have called the Psalms our teacher or our school of prayer. And we might think of it when we hear it that way, when we think of, okay, but isn't the most honest prayer spontaneous prayer? That's, that's what I would often used to think. Because we think like, yeah, that's more of an expression of, you know, what you're really feeling. So if we think, okay, you're, you're kind of reading something that's already, you know, there that someone else has written, how is that really, you know, a genuine expression? But think about it, right? Just like we talked about with the sad songs, you know, these words that were given, often we read them and we say, wow, they got it. They, they're expressing it better than I could have myself. So we identify with the words and in that way, they're genuine. In that way, they're helping us express what's going on. So that's why we can think of the Psalms as kind of our teacher or our school of prayer Eugene Peterson puts it this way, if we want to pray our true condition, our total selves in response to the living God, expressing our feelings is not enough. We need a long apprenticeship in prayer, 
and then we need graduate school. The Psalms are the school. The Psalms can be our guide to learn how to include God in our grieving process, expressing our pain to him. And we can be confident in this, actually, that the Psalms can do this because, well, we know that Jesus was actually shaped by the Psalms. We know that Jesus prayed the Psalms. He quotes them on many occasions. So you got to think, okay, if it's okay and good for Jesus, it's got to be good for us too as well, right? And Jesus was so shaped by the Psalms that in his final moments, he cried out a psalm. On the cross, it's very famous what he says, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, which goes on and says, Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. You are enthroned yet as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And it goes on. So that tells me (laughs) that one of the best things we can do is get into a practice of lament where we are turning to the Psalms of lament and, and letting them guide us, letting them shape us, bringing us to that place where we're learning how to express our pain, express our loss to God. And there's a great resource that I found as I was prepping for this. You can go to a website called upperroom.org, and there you'll find an entry on the Psalms, on praying the Psalms. And it's perfect. They've kind of taken a lot of different Psalms, and they've, they've grouped them under different categories of like life situations and feelings. So, you know, Psalms for anxiety, Psalms for sadness, that sort of thing. So you can look there, and if you identify with that situation, then you can pray through that psalm. And you kind of keep coming back to it and doing that. And over time, you'll find that they're going to have this effect that we're talking about on you. So I see that's how we can learn to come to even worship God in our times of pain, in our times of grief. Okay, so I'm going to finish off there. And to recap, we've been talking about what it means to include God in the grieving process, what it means to communicate and express our pain to God. We saw that lament, it gives us the words that we need often. It gives us the expressions that we need. And in doing so, it can help take ourselves kind of out of that like inwardness when we're hurting and kind of put the focus onto God, to lead us to God. And as we turn to the Psalms in this way, over time, letting them guide us, letting them shape us, we can find that we can even worship and pray in grief and in pain. We can live out what that Psalm talked about earlier, where we worship the Lord always in any circumstance. And here's the thing, right? To finish off, we've got to remember this key insight this idea that we, all this is possible because God is there in our pain and that God's love and God's presence can be found even during times of pain. God isn't far off. He's closer than we can imagine. And that reveals to us just how incredible God is, how beautiful and loving God is. And so it's for that reason that we can be moved to worship even during pain, even during grieving. As James Brooks says, that's why Psalms of Lament often move to praise at the end. You'll notice in the psalm I quoted, 
it turns out with praise. And many of them come to the end with praise. He says, the authors have looked straight into human pain and have found God there. They found Jesus there. And I pray that we too, as we practice this ancient practice of lament, that we might be able to find and even worship Jesus in our grieving. All right, let's close off praying together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many gifts that you've given us. And we thank you that you know how hard it is for us when we're grieving. You know how hard it is for us to look to you, to turn to you. It's hard for us to find the words to say. We might not even have the strength to think of the words when we're really low. So you've given us this gift of lament. And also, I see in these, these verses that we read, just the permission to be honest, to, the permission to express to you our grief, our frustration, even our anger, even our indignation. You are showing us that nothing's off limits in our relationship with you, that you just want us to come to you with these things. And so I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us, help us to make that a practice and help us to be shaped by these, these psalms of lament, these beautiful, this beautiful gift you've given us. And most of all, I pray, Lord, and first thank you that you have, that you have shown us, Jesus, that God is with us and we can encounter God in our grief. And so I pray for each of us right now as we are continuing in this time of isolation, in this stay-at-home order, and as, as we continue through this pandemic together, I pray that through this kind of a practice, we could encounter you even now in powerful ways, and that encountering you could move us to genuine worship, genuine praise, even in this time. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.